Hello, this is Steve Bailey, bringing you the soothing sounds of hard-boiled eggs and nuts, a Laurel and Hardy podcast. Now, as I have previously mentioned, we have previously covered all of the Hal Roach-produced Laurel and Hardy movies, so now we are into Laurel and Hardy's big studio years. And they're definitely uh, hit and miss at this point. Although, uh, as I've mentioned before, it, a lot of the Roach stuff was hit and miss. But just be aware that we're going to hit some uh, peaks and valleys along the way. Now, I have already covered two of their 20th Century Fox features in previous podcasts. Those would be Great Guns and The Dancing Masters. So listen to those episodes if you'd like a primer for the Laurel and Hardy big studio years. But as for the rest of the movies in that era... I thought I would ease you into that era by starting out covering their 1943 feature film, Jitterbugs. Now, far from the piece of perfection that most Laurel and Hardy historians would tell you believe it is, Jitterbugs is a very mixed bag. It includes the following anti-Laurel and Hardy elements. One, some atypical Laurel and Hardy disguises and impersonations, which were evidently such a hit that screenwriter Scott Darling of whom it was once said that he had but a single story to tell, felt compelled to repeat the gimmick in subsequent Laurel and Hardy screenplays. Two, the musical numbers nobody cares about, all performed by Fox ingenue Vivian Blaine, who receives co-star billing with Laurel and Hardy. This seemed to be the big studio's way of putting iconoclastic comedy stars in their places. Two years earlier, overbaked Tony Martin got equal billing with the Marx Brothers in the big store. And finally, three, the once-in-a-lifetime sight of Ollie in a zoot suit, declaring, Come on, Hepcats, we're going to spread a load of jam! Now, <clears throat> that movie, the movie presents this moment absolutely straight, although it seems primed for a sidelong glance at Stan, followed by, Here's another nice mess you've gotten me into. And yet, just when you're about to give up on this mishmash, a worthwhile Stan and Ollie moment comes through, such as this one. You know, Ollie... I was just thinking. What about? Nothing. I was just thinking. So, uh, even though, excuse me, uh, much like the movie's climax, where Stan and Ollie try to escape from Fox's standard issue movie gangsters, Jitterbugs shows our beloved Stan and Ollie trying to wriggle free from an assembly line script assembled by studio personnel who had not a clue about Laurel and Hardy comedy. Unlike some of their other Fox debacles, debacles, however you pronounce it, here the batting average is high enough to enjoy the movie. The movie's opening scene shows more promise than we eventually have a right to expect. Stan and Ollie's car, with a wagon in tow, has sputtered to a stop in the middle of the desert. Naturally, this becomes Stan's fault. Stan says, I'm sorry, to Ollie, and one wouldn't think that to be much of a gag, much less a running one. Yet every time Stan apologizes to Ollie for the rest of the movie, it elicits a laugh, as though Stan could overcome his every gargantuan blunder by being as contrite as a kid with his hand caught in the cookie jar. Another surprisingly funny gag has Ollie taking a break, sitting on the desert-heated bumper of his car and jumping up in pain, not realizing that the car's Ford logo has been branded on his behind. Stan looks through a telescope, sees Ollie's burnished bottom, and mistakes it for a passing truck. Stan sees a nearby gas station through his telescope, and Ollie orders him to get behind the wagon and push. After a few moments, Stan returns to the front seat, and Ollie absentmindedly asks Stan how well he's pushing. It turns out that Stan has commandeered a mule for the occasion, 
prompting Ollie to comment that a mule is just as good as a donkey for this task at hand. Stan does an Ollie-like take when he realizes what Ollie is implying, a gag which amply demonstrates that, even in this late studio-directed stage in their careers, Laurel and Hardy could ring nice variations on their familiar characters. <coughs> the movie's Flights of Fancy abruptly crash land with the introduction of Fox leading man Bob Bailey, whose chinlessly grinning con man was evidently supposed to set female goers, female moviegoers to swooning, but he elicits only eye-rolling apathy among Laurel and Hardy buffs. With all the finesse of a kindergartner, con artist Chester Wright, uh, Bob Bailey, convinces Stan and Ollie that he has the Little Wonder gasoline pill, able to convert ordinary water into much-needed wartime fuel. Conveniently, while Stan and Ollie's backs are turned, Chester pulls out a can of real gasoline, which he has been carrying in his truck while driving through the desert. He pours the gas into Laurel and Hardy's water canteen and convinces our heroes of the product's authenticity. They agree to promote the pill during their performance in the next town. Now, Stan and Ollie's big band playing in this movie has often been criticized by Laurel and Hardy buffs in that most of the music is performed by mechanical hands, so that the scene's comedy comes from a gimmick and not from Stan and Ollie themselves. One could almost believe, though, that if Laurel and Hardy were going to be a big band smash, it would be with this kind of crazy band. Like most of the movie's most promising elements, though, the band is never referred to again after this scene. <coughs> Now, Chester Wright tries to pull off his chicanery which, with Stan and Ollie's help, but eventually the ruse is exposed and Wright quickly steers the, the boys out of town. Halfway down the road, Wright realizes that he left town with a young woman's purse and he must go back to return it. Yep, a con man who tries to pull off an elemental ruse has enough scruples to return a stranger's purse. Conveniently enough, the purse's owner, Susan Cohen, played by Vivian Blaine, has hitched a ride on Stan and Ollie's wagon, which clears the way for some dreary repartee between the romantic leads. It seems that, beside her purse, Susan is upset because her parents have been swindled by some local con man. Wright recognizes the con man from a newspaper clipping Susan shows him, and he vows to help make things right. Nothing like, a trusting, nothing like trusting a con man to see justice against other con men, where are Ollie's camera looks when we need them? Wright heads for New Orleans and enters the con, man's ho con men's hotel with an un unusual entourage. Ollie, in a southern costume including a hat almost as wide as he is, introduces himself as Colonel Watson Watterson Bigsby of Leaping Frog, Amarillo County, Texas. Stan is his personal factotum. Now, Babe Hardy cited this movie as one of his all-time favorites, no doubt because he got a chance to display his southern heritage to the hilt. It's a stretch to believe that Ollie could or would ham it up this much. His previous dress-up in another fine mess is far less flowery, but on its own terms, the impersonation is a beaut. Colonel Bixby and his troop come across two con artists, Henry and Dorcas, played by Robert Emmett Keane and Lee Patrick, and work a scheme to have the colonel meet Dorcas in her suite. Unfortunately, Stan makes it to the suite first, and Dorcas, thinking that he is the colonel, tries to seduce him instead. Dorcas pours, pours Stan a potent drink that knocks his hat off and causes him to understate, you know, that's a bit of all right. Ollie enters the room, causing Stan to hide under Dorcas's bed while Ollie carries on with Dorcas. Now this plot twi twist is meant to hit a boudoir farce, but what would Ollie do if he caught Stan under the bed? Kill him for making time with his woman? Anyway, after a charming scene of Southern gallantry, Henry enters the room and tries to blackmail Ollie, who then reveals himself as a Southern sheriff and locks Henry and Dorcas in the closet. 
Since they're never heard from again in the movie, one assumes Henry and Dorcas entered a fifth dimension where they find those band instruments of stands and ollies. The scene does have a nice capper, though, as Stan emerges from under the bed, only to be yanked back by a wayward bedspring. After Vivian Blaine does two elaborate musical numbers, which, in best big studio style, supplies her with six dancers to supplement her simple audition, we get back to the ever-expanding plotline. Malcolm Bennett, played by Douglas Fowley, one of the more believable Fox gangsters, is the man who flees Susan's mother, and he needs backing for a show he is producing. For no compelling reason other than an excuse for dress-up, Chester gets Stan to pose as Aunt Emily, a wealthy childhood sweetheart of Colonel Bixby's. This does yield a funny scene where Ollie shows Stan how to walk like a lady. You know, somebody ought to have Stan and Ollie do some funny stuff like this in character. It also inspires one of Laurel and Hardy's infrequent but surprising double entendres, as Stan blurts out at one point, I feel so gay. Stan and Ollie eventually get the money back and return it to Chester, but the head gangster realizes he's been had and holds Stan and Ollie hostage in the riverboat where the nightclub production takes place. The gangster who keeps watch on Stan and Ollie has been told to add more coal to the boat's boilers, and he is too gallant to ask a woman, Stan, to do the work, so Ollie must shovel the coals. This inspires a couple of nice sight gags, not to mention Ollie's reaction at not getting to lord it over Stan for a change. Stan and Ollie use one of their gas pills to get the gangster out of the way. Funny how a worthless pill conveniently causes a villain to inflate like a zeppelin, and they make for the dance floor, knocking out many of the gangsters with their wild dancing. The showboat accidentally breaks loose from the shore and heads out to sea as Stan and Ollie try to navigate it. They can't drive a car through the desert, but an out-of-control showboat is no problem for them. The police and Chester arrive upon the scene, and Susan yells at Chester for leaving with her mother's money. But wouldn't you know it, con man Chester deserted Susan only because he had to deliver the money to Susan's mother himself. He even has a receipt from mom. This is the most scrupulous, uh, scrupulous itemizing con man you will ever see in a movie. So Susan and Chester embrace, and as Stan and Ollie sneak up on Chester from behind, Susan shoes them away before they can do any more damage. Stan takes off and throws down his Aunt Emily wig in disgust just in time for the gangsters to see him and give chase to Stan and Ollie. In a weak attempt at a boffo ending, Stan and Ollie jump overboard to escape the gangsters, and Ollie declares, We're going down for the third time! This seems less like a reference to the plot at hand than to Laurel and Hardy's work at Fox. After great guns and a haunting we will go, this lame ending does really seem like an attempt by Fox to kill Stan and Ollie's beloved characterizations for a third time. Jitterbugs does offer enough laughs, even with Stan and Ollie's numerous out-of-character moments, to warrant inclusion on any Laurel and Hardy must-see list. As I've mentioned before, some of the Roach movies had their wayward moments, too. But, with Fox's obliviousness to what Laurel and Hardy instinctively knew about their characters, one gets the impression that Fox was all too eager to use Laurel and Hardy's star power to spread a load of something, and it wasn't jam. So that's Jitterbugs. Uh, again, a mixed bag, but still worthwhile. I will cover the rest of their studio movies in future podcast episodes. For now, let me close with my usual blatant plugs. I have a website devoted to Laurel and Hardy, uh, chock full of reviews of their team films, reviews of their biographies, interviews with their biographers, and tons and tons of other Laurel and Hardy stuff I've collected over the years. You can find the website at the URL leaveemlaughing.moviefever.com. That's leave, E-M, laughing.moviefever.com. 
If you would like to follow us on Facebook, uh, go to Facebook and look us up under the podcast name, Hard Boiled Eggs and Nuts Dash, a Laurel and Hardy podcast. On the cover photo of that Facebook page, you will find the URL for our podcast website, as well as URLs for the many venues where you can listen to this podcast, including iTunes, Google Play Music, and Anchor, the parent website that sponsors this podcast. If you're listening for the first time, I welcome you and I invite you to hit the subscribe button. We still have a few more episodes to go. And I also invite you to listen to the 60, count them, 60 previous episodes of this podcast. And if you are listening via iTunes, I heartily request that you leave either a star rating or a written review. It really helps. In any case, I'm glad you joined me for this. I hope you will continue to do so. And until next time, this is Steve Bailey saying goodbye.